Hi everybody, it's Matt from Emetic's Mind here. Just a reminder that my book, Emetic's Mind, is available wherever books are sold, including Barnes & Noble. You can find it on Amazon.com, .ca, and in the UK. And yes, it's available on Kindle and all other ebook formats. If you'd like to support me, head over there and purchase a copy today and leave a review. Thank you very much. Want to stay connected? Follow me on Instagram at emeticsmind or head over to www.emeticsmind.com and sign up today. I look forward to hearing from you. gentlemen and welcome to a medic's mind the podcast thank you very much for being here sincerely appreciated how are you on this covid hump day uh i guess it doesn't really belong in the same sentence together i apologize uh yeah anyway uh i'm doing okay uh things are starting to open back up so we'll see how that goes uh cautious optimism on my end um but we'll see uh, I do have an episode for you today and it is kind of a unique one as I was a guest on, uh, on another podcast. It is a co- podcast, a podcast. You know, I don't even know why I do these things. I can't even speak properly. <laughs> I think I speak worse now than when I was drinking, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, I was on a podcast called the up talk podcast with Sean Conahan. It is, uh, it is an amazing podcast. If you haven't heard it and you haven't heard of it, highly suggest you go and look it up. It's on Spotify, iTunes, all over the place. Up Talk Podcast with Sean Conahan. Uh, he's got five seasons, so there's a lot of uh, uh, interviews and and uh, you know stuff to to go and take a look at. Um, great interviewer, great speaker. It's really a conversational format. It's not so much interview. Uh, in, in the terms of, of, uh, tradition, it's, it's very much just like sitting down and having a conversation with a microphone, uh, which is really cool. Um, so I had that with him today. Uh, he's, uh, another former, uh, paramedic and, uh, as well as comms officer dispatcher. Um, definitely, definitely please head over there, up talk the podcast, give him a check and a follow, uh, share out his stuff too. It's, it's really good, uh, invaluable stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I, I asked him for permission to post it on my podcast. He said, yes. So I'm going to be doing that. And, uh, the following is just our interview, uh, just our conversation. I should say interview is not the wrong term, just our conversation. It was really easy to kind of converse with him. And, and we talked about, uh, talked about the book and how that came to be kind of talked about, I guess my origin story, so to speak, you know, where I came from and how I've ended up where I am. And, uh, and it was fun. It was a lot of, uh, 
uh, it was a lot of fun to talk with him, albeit some of the topics were a little heavy. Uh, just that is the nature of talking about uh, about life sometimes. And, uh, you know, uh, it was it was overall a very positive experience. And I would happily go on to his podcast again. I'm hoping to have him on mine. We did briefly discuss that and uh, he said he's more than willing to. So definitely we'll have him on a Medic's Mind, the podcast at some point very, very soon. Um, yeah. Anyway, guys, without further ado, I'm not going to bore you anymore, but this is our interview on the UpTalk podcast with Sean Conahan. Medic One, this is Dispatch. You're responding to a podcast conversation. Welcome to UpTalk, Matthew. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you on. Thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, I've actually been looking forward to this for for quite some time. You have a good podcast, and it's uh, it's deeply humbling to to be a part of it now. So thank you. Oh, brother, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to having you on too. I know it's been in the while for a work, so I mean, it's been in the in the works for a while, I should say. But uh, the uh, but it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it uh, for sure. Um, Matthew, before you know, before we get into everything that you you know your story and obviously your book, we're going to talk about. Tell us about a little bit about where you grew up, what your childhood was like, and what led you to a career in the military. Sure, yeah. Um, so you know, my my childhood, uh, I was born in England, um, okay. and uh, I had a, a rapturous adoration for Superman. So I spent most of my uh, my five <laughs> years in England dressed up as Superman, running around the house terrorizing Perfect. my poor mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have uh, four older siblings. Um, two sisters and, uh, two brothers. Yeah. And, uh, my father was Canadian. So, uh, the decision was made to move from England to Canada, uh, came to Canada and, um, we, we, it wasn't like a traditional family. We, we had a, a pretty broken home. Uh, my father was, um, uh, arrested and subsequently removed from my home when I was eight. Right. Um, you know, and then shortly after that, with probably within months after that, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, so growing up, there was a lot of time spent in hospitals just with my mom having, uh, cancer, but then there was a mental health component as well, where she battled, uh, depression, you know, on and off, uh, and, and the bouts of depression were as insidious as depression can be. So there were a lot of times where she was in her room for weeks on end, um, you know, lots of, uh, family fights just with, uh, relationships with my mom and, and other siblings. So a lot of my siblings were kicked out of the house at early ages. So it, was, it wasn't really a stable, uh, environment. There was a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Um, that being said, you know, my mom, I always say my mom did the best with the tools that she had and, and she was never really, um, she wasn't a, a bad woman by any means. She, she did the best she could and I love her dearly. Um, but yeah, growing up was a little, it was, uh, it was a unique environment, uh, growing up, but, um, in growing up in that environment, um, you know, with being in the hospitals and stuff and, and being kind of a younger kid, uh, as I got older, there were times spent in the hospital when nurses and doctors would come in and, and they would check on my mom and I would notice sort of how kind and compassionate they were when they were doing their duties but I would also be very confused at their their language and their linguistics. I didn't know what they were saying. It almost seemed like a foreign language to me. Hmm. And so I would go to to school. This is kind of pre-Google and, and internet age of just being able to grab information at your fingertips. And I would ask the librarian to help me kind of research about cancer. And uh, so I could kind of 
find those key words and make, oh yeah, they mentioned this. Oh yeah, they said this, they said this. And so um, one night when I was doing some homework, I saw a news story of Canadian troops in, uh, in Bosnia. And I saw a Canadian soldier with a red cross on his arm. And he was carrying a weapon, and I was very confused because my only knowledge of medics in the army at that time were kind of World War II, Korean War era medics. Right. And generally speaking, they didn't carry weapons. So I was very, very confused. And of course, I researched that too. And then I started thinking how cool it would be to, to go somewhere, to join the military and, and serve somewhere where maybe I don't speak the language, so they don't understand me, but I can bring calm to the chaos, kind of help a kid that was scared like I was. So that's really kind of what sparked my interest in, in joining the military. Hmm. Awesome. And then you had some issues. I believe you had some issues when you tried to join. Yeah. So, uh, I have terrible eyesight for anybody who, who <laughs> is just simply listening. Uh, like I wear like 17 pounds of glasses. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it was it was kind of rough. I originally thought that in order to become a medic, I would have to join as a as an infantry soldier, and then that I would have to get some specialized training. So that's that was my goal. I signed up to to be infantry, and right. so I went through all the testing and I passed everything. And you know, uh, I got called back in for to to have all my results and stuff read to me by by the recruitment officer, and, and she said, "Unfortunately, you cannot be combat arms. You don't qualify." your eyesight is a category four and you need to be vision category three. So I was devastated. I was like, Oh man, like I, I like all my eggs are in this basket. I don't know what I'm going right. to do now. Yeah. And so she saw me kind of dejected sitting in the waiting room and she brought me some water and, and she also brought me a DVD and the DVD was for a role called medical assistant. And uh, it's now called medical technician, but um, the video started playing and it showed the medics on ships uh, you know, in the Air Force and Army and working with the infantry and deploying with them and being on the front lines with them. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I wanted the whole time. Yeah, this is what you wanted anyway. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, she's like, yeah, you qualify for the medical assistant role uh, and they do deploy with infantry. So now you have to choose your element. Do you want to be Air Force, Navy or Army? And I just wrote Army, Army, Army uh, for all the, <laughs> all the options. <laughs> and she's yeah. like, okay. Uh, but yeah, so I ended up getting selected, uh, and I, I went through that way, but yeah, it was, it was a little scary at first. Cause I'm like, yeah, my eyesight was pretty bad. Uh, and I got <laughs> made, you know, there were some pretty good Sergeant jokes when I was in basic training with the, uh, with the glasses too, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so what year did you finally get in and start training? So I, I joined in January of 2002 and, uh, okay. I served for a period of six years and I got right. out in July of 2008. Um, so looking back on that career now. I mean, what were some of your highs and lows from that? Well, I, I think the highs are, um, I mean, at risk of sounding stereotypical, the camaraderie, the brotherhood. Right. Um, you know, I met yeah. some some great uh, men and women in, in the forces. I had some great uh, male and female uh, role models and, and leadership in the military. Um, Petty Officer Penny, who has uh, subsequently passed away, um, was uh, one of the first, um, you know, leadership uh, mentors that I had when I, when I first got there, she was very intimidating. Uh, I think she was about five feet tall, but she was, she was scary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was cool because, you know, I, I saw, um, I saw this woman in an elevated position of authority and, and having a prestigious career and, and how well she handled herself and the stressors of military life. And so when you see people tolerate it and handle it well, 
it's it's kind of a an inspiring thing. So I buckled down and started kind of watching people around me and feeding off of them. So the highs were, um, I, I guess, just the 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 excellence of human ability. Just watching people thrive in environments that typically you might not be able to due to stress right. or whatever else. Um, but yeah, so I mean, those were some of the highs. Obviously, fun times too. Some funny moments, uh, mishaps, and things, and yeah, you know, uh, being made fun of. I mean, we. In, in, in basic training, it's all just kind of a game anyway, but some of the experiences I have of basic training are some of the funniest in my life. Uh, you know, for room inspection, you have all your boots on the end of your bed and the sergeant comes in and I remember him telling me my bed is crap and he flipped my bed and my boot flew over into the next cubicle, which was Private Hood's cubicle. And then they go in to inspect Private Hood and he starts yelling at Private. He goes, why do you have one of Hennigan's boots? What the heck is wrong with you? What did you steal the soul? Do you have a foot fetish, Private Hood? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I think you threw it over when you messed up Hennigan's bed. He goes, Oh, it's my fault. You have a foot fetish. Oh, oh. <laughs> so those, yeah. those were the those were some of the highs. You know, it was uh, it was a good place to good place to grow up. It was your tribe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you you learn things about yourself about what you can and and, and I guess. There's no such thing as can't accomplish, but you learn right. things that you wouldn't have thought you could do. Um, I'd never fired a weapon until I joined the military and I became a marksman. Um, I never repelled off of a tower and I ended up repelling off a 30-foot tower in full gear and had fun doing it. Um, so yeah. uh, never marched you know, 13 kilometers with, with full fighting order on. That That would have been sort of an insurmountable thought to me, I'd be like, no, there's no way. It's unfathomable. And I ended up doing it. And uh, so the military is great that way in that it really shows you that uh, limitations really are only in the mind. And uh, was What do you have to do, Matthew, in order to get certified as a marksman? Because that's not, that's, it's not, I don't want to say it's rare, or is it rare? It's not so much that it's rare. Um, so you do, it's called a PWT, personal weapons test. Okay. And so it's kind of an annual thing. Soldiers go to the range and you shoot from different distances and you do different drills and tests. So, for example, right. uh, one of the tests might be running from the 400 meter mark to the 300 meter mark, uh, getting into a kneeling position and then firing five rounds downrange. And essentially right. to score marksmen, you just have to have accumulated a certain number of points, i.e. certain number of hits uh, on the target at the end of the day. Okay. And so at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, you scored this. Um, you can go put the cross rifles and crown on your on your dress jacket. So for me, that was kind of a huge thing because, A, the eyesight thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was it was pretty <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But uh, I got to wear that on my uniform and that was a big thing of pride for me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not so much that it's a that it's a rare thing, but not everyone not everyone does it. So it, it was kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Very cool. When, like at what point in your military career did you start to understand that there's a emotional mental weight to this that you might not have been prepared for? Oh, um, I would say that would probably have been. Uh, I came back from a tasking, and uh, I got what's picked that? up. What's that? What's a tasking? Oh, tasking is um, it, it's kind of like uh, there's another place in Canada or something, another unit that might need a medic and they don't have one available okay. in their right. region. Right, so you're so, lent out? Yeah, so I was attached to an engineer company in uh, New Brunswick. They were going through their engineer schooling. So okay. basically I just got to watch them blow stuff up for about two weeks. 
and I was just there in <laughs> case anybody got hurt and luckily nobody did. Nice. Yeah, we had like one nosebleed and that was it. Uh, <laughs> but I came back from that tasking and uh, I got picked up by my roommates and um, they informed me that we lost a medic overseas. Mm. And uh, his name was uh, Corporal Andrew James Eichlinboom. And uh, he was the first medic killed since Korea in combat. Oh, wow. Really? And 23 years old. I uh, was just a young guy and he was uh, like weeks away from coming home. Um, in fact, his, his kind of tour was done. He volunteered for the mission that he went on. Uh, that's right. just the kind of guy that he was. And this was back in 2006. So this was when Canada was kind of in the thick of, of a fighting season. Right. And um, for me at that point, at that, at that moment, going to the unit and sitting down and having our COs um, relay this information to us and then watching people that had either gone to medic school with Boomer uh, or the COs that knew Boomer, watching them kind of choke back their human element to remain their military element. Watching that, it, it all kind of started to sink in that, that you know, this war and what Canada is doing isn't just a news story. It's, it's not just on the, the bottom of a, a news feed anymore. This is a real thing and medics are not impervious to, to the dangers of, of what's going on over there. And so that part was when I really kind of started to notice it, but it was in the process of being selected as a pallbearer. So I, I carried Boomer's casket when he arrived in Trenton and we carried mm. it all the way from Trenton to Comox. And, uh, it was, um, for me that, uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever have the words to describe the, the heft of, of that event of that, um, that tasking, that, that undertaking, it is both one of the most honorable things that I've ever done. And one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever done to watch family members come up and, and, uh, you know, mourn. And, and it was, uh, it was big. And I, I think that was when I really started to clue in and go, this, this could be the guy next to me, you know, right. guys, guys that I went to school with guys that I'm living with guys that, you know, I've known for years now that have truly become family. And, mm. and this, this, this could be a real thing. And this is, um, this is real. And, uh, unfortunately down the line that ended up happening. Yeah. I mean, you realize that. And then did you, I mean, then was it just put back in the back of your mind or did you, uh, like, did you act on that at all? Or was there anything that you started to do differently because of that? No, I mean, I started having some some nightmares, um, just uh, right from from carrying the. So, I mean, there was just some events surrounding the the right. uh, casket um, and carrying and everything, um, and I started kind of have some bad dreams. They weren't really all that invasive at first. They were just something I, I kind of woke up and took note of, right? But I didn't say anything because I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't overseas with him when he like. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything. Right. Um, and operational tempo was very high at that time. We were all, because we were supposed to deploy the following year. And pre-deployment training in, in Canada is quite extensive. Mm -hmm. And so um, I and I was also in a new relationship at that time, which being in the military and in a new relationship has its own unique stressors. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the healthiest relationship either. So that also comes with stressors. Um, but I, I kind of... With tempo being so high and everything, I, I kind of just 
tried to forge and, and go go ahead with what I was what I was tasked to do. Mm. Um, and when the time came for our our unit to start deploying, uh, you go in chalks. So you go in. You don't all deploy at once. You kind of go in different sections. And okay, um, a guy that I had gotten to know, um, Corporal Michael Starker. Um, today is actually the anniversary of of his passing. Um, mm. in in May of two thousand eight. Uh, I think I saw. Did you, is that what you posted about? Uh, there was a picture. Yeah, yeah. I saw you posted on Facebook. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I generally, I mean, previous iterations of me would uh, typically be spending this day drunk and in a bar, but that's not really befitting of, uh, mm. you know, of of holding someone's memory. So I think uh, just posting a a blurb and a picture to keep keep his legacy yeah. alive and show people uh, is probably the the more honorable way to to remember a friend. Um. Mm. But yeah, so he he uh, he ended up being killed, and my sergeant came and told me when I was in the back of uh, one of the military ambulances. We we're doing inventory, right? And uh, and that one hit pretty hard because that was a guy that I I knew and worked yeah, with. you had a connection with this guy exactly, right? I mean, uh, you know, when he first came to the unit, he was a reservist. He was a Calgary paramedic, and he was a reservist. He'd had previous military oh, okay. experience. Um, I believe he was uh, airborne before it was disbanded. So this isn't this wasn't his first rodeo, but in 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 that uh, Starker was a very funny guy, but he was a very intimidating guy as well. Uh, he had a very stoic disposition on his face, and it wasn't until you kind of got to know him that you you kind of realized, oh, he's he's, like, he's just a really great guy. Uh, hmm. But outwardly, you're just like this guy is fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um. I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah. So I mean that 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 event. Uh, was a, a big blow for sure that that was sort of i think the beginning of of the end yeah. yeah i mean i kind of obviously i don't have military experience so and i in my head like i've always said that you know there's no trauma olympics there's no gold medal for trauma it's all relative the person however that being said i do believe that the military and members of the military are on a different level i think you guys are the tip of the spear as far as first responders go as far as the responsibility that you take in the you know the commitment that you make um in the job that you do uh but i do know what it feels like i, like I remember when i was working as a paramedic and I, I lost a few paramedics that i knew um and just that feeling like it's um it just, it hits you like a truck it does. Yeah. It's literally losing family. It's, it is, uh, you know, you it's lose. so weird that you say that. Cause you know, in you know, military first responders, my wife finds it so weird because, um, you know, a paramedic will, you will, will lose a paramedic or we'll lose a, a first responder. And I'll tell her and she'll say, Oh, did you know them? And I'll, and I'm like, no, but, and that seems kind of weird to her. Weird just, you know, and probably to most civilians that, it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't matter if you know them or not. When you lose them, you feel it like it's a member of your family. Absolutely. It's, it's a different thing. Like, I don't have to have known them. I don't have to have worked with them. They could be in a different province. It doesn't really matter. As soon as you lose somebody, it's like it is a member of your family. It's just a, it's a different uh, construct. A hundred percent. There's a uniqueness to to this kind of work, to this kind of lifestyle, because as as much as as being a paramedic is a job, it's also very much a way of life. You know, you never really yeah. shut the medic brain off. You never really shut off the consequences of 
of the job that don't have to be negative consequences, right? But you never they, they never really shut off. And it's when you if you know, for social interaction, if you go and you meet somebody and they and you're like, oh hey, how are you? What do you do? They're a paramedic. Instant connection. Boom. In yeah. like boom, like magnets. Just you know, instead of pulling against each other, come right together, and you're like, yep, yeah, I know, I know this person, I know what they're about. And uh, so when when you're you're absolutely right when you hear of somebody passing, um, it is felt a hundred percent. It's tangible. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. I mean, and so at, at what point during your military career did it get to a point where you know you couldn't do it anymore? Um. I, I would say I was kind of I was kind of wavering um, pre Starker because uh, right. I, I was kind of again I was struggling in my relationship and struggling with uh, just not not doing. I started my military career doing very well, and right. you know I like I said I attained marksman. I was graduating to the top of my class in medic school. Uh, I was doing very well within my unit. Um, I had earned a dismounted position, which is to be attached with an infantry company or. Um, you know, another forward element and be attached to that unit for deployment. And so uh, it's a position that you had to work for. You had to pass certain physical requirements. You had to really show initiative and drive. And so I was doing very well, but um, there came a time where, where all of a sudden I was, I was showing up late to the unit. Um, I was unable to concentrate as well. I was kind of becoming a uh, P.O. Penny actually. Um, had uh, notified me that I was becoming an administrative burden. Hmm. Um, and that was, speaking of being hit by a truck, you know, having somebody that, that I respect and revered so very much right. to say. And she didn't say it meanfully or spitefully. It wasn't, it wasn't an insult. It was, it was a very astute observation. Informing and you. Exactly, yeah. And it, it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was basically like, uh, it was the equivalent of I'm disappointed in you from a parent. Yeah. And it was so... Um, that those, those things just kind of started to spiral. And then I became, I began floundering. I didn't really know exactly how to get back to where I was. I was trying to keep my relationship alive and keep this person happy. And I was trying to adhere to the military standards, which are very strict and Mm -hmm. strict for a reason. Um, I, I, I'll never complain and say they're too strict. They're strict for a reason. There's a, there's a purpose behind what happens in the military as right. vexing as it can be sometimes, and it, it can be vexing, but there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think pre, pre-Starker, pre I started to really kind of go, maybe I should get out. Like, I'm not doing so well anymore. Maybe, maybe I should get out. And then after Starker happened, um, I kind of, you know, I, I, I started, I felt really bad because you know, I was being pushed back on the deployment schedule because I wasn't doing very well. And then I started feeling bad that I wasn't over there with my friends during this time, during this right. event that I should have been or that I felt like I should have been, you know, and I'd let all these people. So I started uh, berating myself and I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm done. I think I'm out. And, uh, and then, uh, I, I ended up putting in my release papers and, uh, and that was, that was it. When did uh, when did alcohol become a problem for you? So I mean, uh, I alcohol was kind or of if it was a problem. Yeah. Problem. Um, I mean, alcohol has kind of been 
I wanted to say it started innocuously, but it always kind of been a pervasive element in my family uh, with mm. siblings and stuff like that. Um, and I enjoyed it at a young age, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18, you know, getting older brothers to buy me booze. And mm-hmm. um, I would say problematically, uh, I was probably using it problematically even in the military. Um, right. You know, I'd, I'd buy beer at the end of a day and polish off a six pack and not really think about it. Right. And then weekends would come around and we'd blow off steam and I'd drink alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I wouldn't think about it because you show up to work and you show up on time or you do whatever. So you consider yourself fine. Right. Uh, you're yeah, functioning. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a problem. You're not like those guys on the You're street. functional. Exactly. Right. Like you, yeah. you put blame somewhere else and you, you put yourself in comparisons to, to what you think a problem really is. Right. So I would say problematically, probably, you know, while I was in the military, uh, mm. because there was sort of a daily consumption there. Um, I mean, and that probably didn't get any better with your transition to civilian life. Definitely not. I mean, I so I got out in July of 2008. And right. uh, two days after I got out, um, somebody that I consider uh, one of my better I, 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 he was a brother to me, um, right? Colin Wilmot. Um, is this the notification you got when you were at your girlfriend's parents' house? Correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I was two days removed from the military, and and then I find out that this guy that you know had slept over at my house, and this guy that you know I'd gone drinking with, he was a great, great human being, had had been killed overseas, and uh, drinking really ramped up, ramped up at that point. Because uh, mm. again, more guilt, more shame. I should have been there. You know, he wasn't even scheduled to deploy. Maybe because I left, maybe he got put in in that place. Uh, all these terrible circling sharks of of negative thought came. You know, in, it just encompassed my my thinking space. And uh, the only way to really deal with that at the time that I felt uh, was just numb it, numb it, drink it, get it away. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started working as a paramedic, um, almost immediately thereafter. Did you have any, uh, reservations about doing that because of the, I know it's a totally different thing. You're not, it's not a military medic, but you know, did you have some reservations? Uh, I think the only, I, I don't want to say reservations towards doing it. I think I had some trepidation in that it was new, that it was different. Um, right. Okay. But as far as like the mental health component went, no, I wasn't even contemplating that I was in a poor mental state. Um, really? So even right now at this point, you were not considering yourself to be in a mental health crisis. No, no. It just, to me, I was like, I'm stressed, you know, I'm stressed because I just got out of the military. You know, I got right. out of a place where I knew where my meal was coming from. I knew where my paycheck was coming from. I knew socks and underwear. I knew where that was coming from. So I, I left this this structured environment for the uncertainty of civilian life with a relationship that was still uh, tenuous at best. And so uh, to me, I was like, I'm just stressed and that's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And right. so I thought, okay, if I get in this career, you know, and I, I start doing well in this, things will turn around. You know, I'll start getting a steady mm. paycheck again. I could start building that, that envisionment that I had of, the white picket fence, the house, the girl, the, the car, the kids, whatever, and uh, and so that was kind of the the song I was crooning to myself. But no, I I didn't really think of myself as a having a 
poor mental state. In fact, that never really came until till much later. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you still uh, do you remember your first day as a civilian medic? How that went? Yeah, it was it was a pretty. Uh, I, I was kind of working in a rural town uh, right. for my first first medic gig, and uh, it was a relatively slow day. Uh, they showed me the coffee spots, and they showed me where you post up if you have a street side deployment or something. And it was a pretty right. low key kind of day. Uh, in the evening, we went to a, a cardiac arrest. We were a second unit, a backup unit. Right. Um, and uh, you know, went to the cardiac arrest, ran the code, and the code went well. And uh, everyone on the on the both units, both cars were kind of fueled with adrenaline because it's rural. Right. It doesn't happen all that often. So they were they got to do medic stuff. So everyone was pumped. And so there was almost a happy element, which is ironic to say. Right. Um, well, well, you're there doing the job that you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's not that we were happy. So there, is, there is an excitement. It sounds weird to say, but there is an excitement adrenaline to that exactly yeah you, you want to you don't want somebody to get i saw a t-shirt once says i don't want you to get hurt i just want to be there if you do right and it's, yeah exactly yeah. that's right so i mean there, there's that element to it where you, you finally get to start doing your stuff and, the, and it was cool because i had this training uh and this knowledge that that now i was the guy i wasn't you know uh in a whole unit of people you know we didn't we didn't work uh on the ambulance so much in the military Right. So now I was I was doing my stuff every day and that was euphoric for a time, you know, being able yeah. to start an IV, being able to even grab a, a blanket for an old lady and just talk to her and let her know or an old guy and let him know, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, they're going to take you in. Like just being that that thing. Yeah, was amazing. So for a time, the job became euphoric. It was great. When you talk about cardiac arrest, like was there obviously there must have been a difference because in the military. If you're dealing with a cardiac arrest, chances are you know the person, or if you lose a person, you know them. Yeah. Whereas, in as a civilian medic, you go to a cardiac arrest, and chances are you don't know them. Mm -hmm. Did you find that to be a little bit different emotionally? Yeah, I mean, so in the military, I I, I never really had to work on anyone that I knew. Uh, no. In a very serious capacity, you know, sprained ankle, you know, right. hurt knee, you know. I, I, there was, but if you lost somebody, even if you weren't there, chances are you knew them, right? So, exactly. Yeah. It yeah. was, uh, so in the, in the civilian sector, um, yeah, it was, I, I was unique in that when I first started, it was in a rural town, which was my, my ex, my now ex, it was her hometown. So the oh, people I was working okay. on, she knew. And unfortunately that kind of blew back on me in that, uh, I went to, uh, another cardiac arrest sometime later. And it was for a grandparent of one of her friends that she went to high school with. Mm. And um, she knew that I had gone to that call. And she, because obviously she speaks with this person. And long story short, the next day, uh, unbeknownst to me, she had been talking with this individual and saying that I, we could meet up at the grocery store, you know, and, and then go for coffee and I could talk about it. Which I can't. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's not, it doesn't work that way. No, and I was ambushed mm -hmm. by this, right? This person comes up and obviously he's quite distraught. It's his grandfather. He has a relationship with him and he was asking me like, what happened? And I'm like, who is this? Like, what is going on? And then that's yeah. when she told me, she's like, oh, this is so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I said that you, you could talk to him, let him know what happened. I was like, no. Holy, she didn't even prepare you for it. No, no, I came out and I, 
it, it felt dreamlike in the worst possible way. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it was. So, I mean, there was, <laughs> there was blowback that way. Not And like, again, not emotional in that I knew the person or anything. It was more like right. panic. Like, I can't talk about any of this stuff. But now there's this grieving person. That, like, what? I don't know where to go. I felt trapped. And uh, hmm. that caused a pretty big fight between us. Yeah. I can imagine it did. Yeah, yeah. that wouldn't have been nice. Because yeah. um, I'm sure she didn't. I'm sure that she did not have any bad intentions with what she was trying to do. She just didn't realize the ramifications of the fact that you can't talk about it. I would, I would agree. Yeah. I don't think it was done out of malice. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I just, don't uh, be just being naive. That's really uh, exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, uh, yeah. so it was, it, you know, that, um, if, if, you know, if I had to go back and compare it to military, obviously losing friends, in the military for me was, was much worse just because, of course, you know, they truly, the, the, those people did feel like family and, you know, now it's been 12 years since Starker was, was killed, but it, it's 12 years lived in the blink of an eye. You know, yeah. I, I, I posted those pictures today on my social media and as I posted them, I lingered for a minute. And I, and I, and I looked and I, hmm. I looked at these photographs and I, I ingested his features and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I know this guy. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so those things are, are, I would say arguably on a very subjective level for me, much worse. Hmm. No, that makes sense. So how far into your civilian medic career <laughs> did you start to realize that, that there's an issue? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because there was an issue for a long time and you probably just didn't know it. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I kind of figured nightmares was normal. Uh, I figured yeah. nightmares and alcohol consumption was normal because I had a lot of piss ups with a lot of medics, you know, we'd sit around and get absolutely drunk and talk about, talk about the shit, you know, we would talk about the bad stuff and, and I kind of just assumed it was normal. And so, yeah. um, Honestly, and perhaps even arguably naively, I didn't really think there was a problem until I got my DUI. And that was mm. in uh, 2015. 2015? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when that happened, what were you saying to yourself? Um, I think initially what I said, I, I mean, I remember feeling sober immediately when I saw the lights come on. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking that I'm going to get arrested because there's no way that I'm going to pass this test. Right. So I remember readying myself for that. But then being in the back of the car, I remember going, I I think, I think I'm in some trouble, not legal trouble. I think I'm in some trouble. Right. right? Like there's something going on here because, hmm. you know, I, as a medic, you can relate, I, I'm sure we deal with those calls fairly frequently, you know, people that make some brash decisions yeah. with respect to alcohol and automobiles and, and it's something so easily avoidable, so yeah. easily avoidable. And I went ahead and did it anyway. And it wasn't the first time that I'd driven intoxicated. Uh, and I'm not saying yeah. that with any sort of bravado or, or bragging sense at all. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's the bare bones truth. It's not the first time I did it. It's just the, the first time that I was caught doing it. And, um, you know, as a, as a, as a sidebar of that, I don't know where the officer is these days. I don't know if he listens to podcasts, but if he does, I, I want to send a thank you to him. 
Mm. Uh, because of his diligence, because of what he did, um, not only did he save my life or any potential danger for anything I might have done that night, there was no accident. There was no nothing. It's just right. He mitigated and stopped everything from happening, and he got me on the road to where I needed to be. And mm. so there's a huge uh, ethereal, universal thank you to this individual, um, and I, I, and I, it's a wholehearted and sincere thank you because without that event. I don't yeah. know where I'd be. So after that happens, is that when, I mean, did you start to ask for help after that? Yeah. I, um, so I was working, um, and I, I enacted my employee benefits saying, okay, I think I might need to need to speak with someone. Right. And, uh, I initially had went to speak with, uh, one psychologist and that didn't go so well. I think probably if I have to take some ownership in it, I, I definitely will. I just don't think I was ready or willing to kind of partake. Um, yeah. But then I, you know, still burning through my sick time, not able to come into work. And I, you know, asked if I could speak with somebody else. And they put me in touch with the psychologist that I'm now uh, dealing with. Uh, okay. She specializes heavily in, in trauma, especially with first responders and veterans. And so nice. she's got her fingers on the pulse of, what those two worlds are really all about. And uh, she's a very tough lady to deal with um, in, in that she's very challenged. Like she challenges me on a personal level, uh, yeah. therapeutic level. So she's tough in that respect. Um, but I, I credit her with, with truly saving my life. Uh, she, mm -hmm. she 100% did. So, so when would that have been that when you first got hooked up with, with her? So I believe... I believe we connected in 2016. Okay. Um, yeah. Dates are kind of tough for me sometimes. Oh yeah, I for think, sure. Oh, well, me too, man. I can't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't, I, I, I want to, I know, I know it was Valentine's day. <laughs> I know. Oh really? I know that. Yeah. 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 I remember thinking to myself how, you know, what a terrible fucking date this was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You probably didn't take chocolates or flowers or anything like that. No, I, I went and got absolutely obliterated after, uh, after oh, really? Session. Yeah. I got absolutely dropped out. I was trying to tell the bartender that I had a horrible date and I don't think I got it out very articulately. <laughs> <laughs> so like when you look back now, what were those first few sessions like? Like, were you buying into this? Were you, you know, uh, I, I was, I was because there was a sincere delivery from, from the therapist and there was, I could see that there was, there was, she oozed professionalism. Like she knew what she was doing and this right. wasn't her first rodeo and, um, the things that she was saying were ringing true. Right. And when she had, when she had bestowed the moniker of post-traumatic stress disorder and me in the same sentence, um, I, I wasn't so much dismissive. I was, I was reticent, uh, during the session, but I remember kind of thinking of reasons why I don't have P PTSD, why it's just, I'm just stressed. Again, it went back to that. I'm just stressed. Right. But the, the longer I stayed in her office, the, the more I went back, the more I continued to talk to her and the more I really bought into what she was saying. And I really introspectively looked at myself. I'm like, all right, yeah, maybe, hmm. maybe this is true. And, and it's literally just been a journey of discovery from then and, until now and, and continuing. 
Um, were you still working when you started the therapy or were you not working? No, I was off work. I was on uh, employee assistance and, yeah, okay. uh, you know, um, ended up through, through therapy. We kind of realized, I think you're done. I, so I, you, so you didn't go back after that. There wasn't, no, that was it. No. And I, and I, I think, I think my time in the back of the bus is done. I, you know, she said very poetically one day, it's, uh, it's someone else's turn now. You know, as opposed to, because I kept saying, you know, I failed, I quit, you know, I let them down, whatever. Yeah. She said, no. Yeah. How'd you feel about that? That must've been kind of devastating. It was insane because for so long, uniform had been part of my life, whether it yeah. was, whether it was military, whether it was civilian. Uh, and I say civilian kind of loosely because paramedics and firefighters and police and, and corrections, they're not really like you're civilian. But you're not really. There's a different right. element. Civilian compared to military. Yeah, right. Like there's yeah. there's definitely a different element to it. Right. And uh and so but those uniforms were your Superman suits. A hundred percent, yeah. And, you know, and right. there's there's an element of uh of discipline that goes into putting it on before you go to work or lacing those right. boots up. You 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 change your mindset the minute you button up that last button, you go, Okay, it's go time. And uh and taking that off, I felt naked and invisible um, for quite some time. I felt worthless. You know, I'm like, well, now what? Like, like now I'm just going to fade into right. the obscurity of of the world. That now the you're a normal person. Exactly, a normal person who can't <laughs> yeah. do normal things. Right? Yeah. So it's it's uh, it was it was tough. It was really hard. But uh, I mean, I've had some time with it. Um, I'm more at peace with the fact that that time in my life is over. Yeah. Um, Mainly in the fact that I know that I can't do it healthily, and yeah, and that. yeah, that, that's right. Because I mean, I miss it oh, a lot. Yeah, I, I miss connecting with the people. I miss you know helping the older population and holding their hand. Absolutely, I miss all of that very much. But I know that I cannot do it, and yeah. some days it gets to me still. Like, but I know I can't. Right? Absolutely, yeah. I I fully empathize. Uh, I feel the same way. There, I, I don't, uh, to this day and probably for the rest of my life, I can't look at an ambulance passing by, whether it's lights and sirens or whether it's just normal, and not transpose myself into the front seat of that ambulance and go, yeah. let's go, let's go. Yeah, me too. Yeah, for sure. It happens. Um, still happens and probably will always happen, like you said. I think so, yeah. At what point did you decide that you wanted to be, that you wanted to write a book? Yeah, so writing all happened by by happenstance. Um, I I was writing very angry posts on social media. Oh yeah, uh, when I was really drunk and politically charged. How did that go for you? It went really poorly. <laughs> it went <laughs> really poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're politically charged. They were controversial. They basically, I wanted people uh, subconsciously. I think I wanted people to feel as pissed off as I was. Right. And so I was just bleeding onto the world and saying things that just don't need to be said and, you know, uh, what have you, but you know, in, in, in no longer working, uh, and not having that, uh, sort of distraction nightmares seeped in even further and even more. And so I was sleeping barely, you know, two, two and a half hours at a time, uh, mm. while, while in the circling drain of intoxication, I was still drinking uh, in fact, I found the best way to mitigate nightmares for me was to get absolutely in- obliterated. And then that way I wouldn't have REM sleep and there I wouldn't have to worry about dreams. 
But when your alcohol induced sleep isn't really sleep, you know, you're not really resting. You're just passed out. So you don't wake up refreshed and glory eyed and happy. Mm. You know, usually you end up feeling a lot worse for wear. Yeah. Um, but one night I'd, I'd had a dream and I woke up and uh, it was the middle of the night. Nobody was awake. You know, the world was basically asleep. I, I didn't even hear any cars passing outside. So I was very angry. And I, I wrote this huge post and it wasn't a political post. It was just an introspective, what I'm feeling post. It was uh, right. this huge thing. And, and amidst all these people reaching out to me to make sure I was okay, which is very fortunate to have those people in my life. But I had people say, hey, you should think about writing a blog because it might mm. reach other people. And so I started researching how to write a blog and I signed up and started just kind of throwing out my thoughts on this blog. And, uh, so again, not really with the intent of being published or fine. Like it was literally just to put, I found there's a catharsis in, in doing that, um, kind of a steam valve in a way, letting some stuff out, um, channeling my, my inner angst into sort of lexicological dispersal. And, uh, I, I had this, uh, interaction with a, a friend of mine named Simon who knew Natalie Harris and, uh, right. uh, kind of connected us, me and Natalie via social media and Natalie Harris, who was a published author, uh, at the time started posting my blogs on her social media and her publisher found it. And her publisher sent me a message one day via Twitter said, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a Canadian publisher. I'm interested in, in putting together an anthology and I, I kind of like, I would like to work with you. To which I respond with, you're not a fucking publisher. Leave me alone. Yeah. Then I Googled yeah. her and it turns out she's a fucking publisher. So I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but it, it all worked out. She, uh, we started working together and I, I started writing and, uh, you know, this, uh, this kind of came at the time after my mom's, my mom's unfortunate passing. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to write an element of my mom in that story and she helped me do that, uh, you know, with, with respect to crafting it in a way that fit the motif of the book. Hmm. Um, and so I thought that's, that's as far as I was getting published. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Maybe now I'll just write my own book and self-publish. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff is happening. It's kind of hard to talk about everything, but a lot of stuff is yeah. happening in, in the sinew of, of, of that story of, of that, you know, uh, those years. Uh, it got to the point where still going through therapy, still going through stuff I needed to, where I decided I had a problem with alcohol and, uh, and I acquiesced to going into treatment for it. Okay. And, uh, so I, I did go into treatment for alcohol. That was in 2018. Um, and it was a six-week program in a place called Bellwood. Okay. And uh, the publisher, Heather, uh, began sending me a package a day every day that I was in there just to let me know that somebody was thinking about me on the outside. Wow, that's huge. It was massive, yeah. And subsequent, Simon, too. Simon sent me stuff. He sent, he sent me a coloring book of different shaped penises <laughs> to build with. <laughs> really? And the best part is I can't open my own mail. They have to open it. So the, <laughs> the supports to have opened up and out comes all these pages of different cocks just strewn about the place. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> wow. That was an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's a good old mm. medic as well. He's got the medic humor. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So, so, so you go to treatment. Yeah. And then you get out of treatment and then 
how long does it take you to put this book together? Yeah. So, I mean, we had kind of, Heather and I, the publisher for Winter, Winter Tickle Press is the name of yeah. our publishing, uh, publishing house. Um, we had kind of talked about the idea of maybe penning a book and, and she said we would talk when I got out of Bellwood. And uh, on the last day that I was in Bellwood, she sent me a package and it was just a thin kind of envelope and I opened it up and it was a writing contract for a medic's mind, my book. Oh. And, uh, you know, when I get to tell the story, I didn't cry, but in reality, I definitely cried. <laughs> when yeah. I saw that paper, I was like, ah, um, and so is I, there a, is there a monetary element to a contract like that? Uh, yeah, no? there's like royalties. You get royalties there from, is? The, yeah, from okay. the book and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ultimately, um, like at the time, um, monetarily for the, for me in the book, it's kind of a secondary well, yeah, for thing. sure. No, I just didn't know. I just didn't know how that worked. I mean, obviously, I've never done that. But yeah, so like, yeah, when they give you the contract, you kind of they break down like royalties, and and you kind of get a the royalties every quarter, I guess, right uh, for the year, and uh, and then um, yeah, you kind of kind of go from there. But uh, it was it's kind of it was mind blowing because I, I like the first person I wanted to share this with was my mom, but unfortunately, I couldn't. You know, she was gone right. at the time. So we actually, you know what? We totally missed that. Yeah. When did, uh, when did your mom pass? She passed November of 2017. Um, 2017. Yeah. Okay. She, uh, she died by way of suicide uh, right. uh, on November 6th. And uh, so I, I mean, I was still drinking heavily prior to then, but I, I dove headfirst into a bottle after her, her passing. And I, I think I swam every curvaceous inch of every bottle put in front of me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so the book. Okay. So you were, I mean, you've been nice enough. You sent me a copy of the book. So I've been reading it. I'm like halfway through the book, which I'm not really the fastest reader anyway. I like to read, but, and I'm a good reader, which sounds weird, but <laughs> I have, I have trouble uh, slowing my head down. Yeah. Right. So but I'm getting better at it because I'm making myself read. So the first question I have, and I mean this respectfully. Sure. Have you always been a vocabulary geek? <laughs> because there are so many words in this book that I, I go, I have to stop. Okay, let's Google this word. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's awesome. Like, and the book is so well written. And uh, yeah, it's like really good, really good read. But yeah, you, you, you love your words, your big words. Yeah, so that kind of, that that was born from a few different things. Um, okay. And uh, so basically, I, I touched on my mom having uh, some mental health issues yeah. and how she'd be depressed. Well, there was also, um, she kind of, she she felt like ghosts were in the house sometimes. Okay. And so there were times where she would ask me to sit outside of her door. Um, right. Yes, I remember this in the book. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I didn't have access to a lot of books. Uh, you know, there was Goosebumps and Nate the Great and stuff like that, but- as you get older, those books aren't really. Yeah. Uh, so I I started kind of just flipping through a thesaurus, and because hmm. uh, that was really what well, yeah. it shows. And uh, <laughs> you put in work. Yeah. So I started doing that, but then you know there's a, 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 sel- a more selfish element, and that uh, spawns from the fact that there was a TV show that that came out uh, while I was in high school called Dawson's Creek. Right. And that show is known for young teenagers using this bright vocabulary and so oh really i didn't realize that i started thinking hey if i have a good vocabulary and i wear sweater vests i'm gonna get all the girls in high school turns out 
That doesn't happen <laughs> at all. In fact, sweater vests are never a good idea. Don't ever do it. I rocked a sweater vest back in the day. I, you know, I, I did too. Like my high school picture is me wearing a sweater vest with uh, frosted tips for whatever fucking reason I did that Ooh, for. frosted tips. Wow. Yeah, you know, I, nice. I looked like a lazy eye sync. you know. It was, it was <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you finished this book. What was that like when you finished the book? Uh, it was exhilarating and heartbreaking. Um, mm, heartbreaking how? Well, so the book really became the first thing that felt like work outside of being a paramedic. You know, it felt like a, like I was doing something like a career, like a thing, mm. and, as opposed to just kind of going to therapy and stuff. Cause I, I don't actively work right now. My, my job basically is getting better going through therapy and going through, uh, different courses like DBT and, and things like that. So this book felt like when, when I'd be sitting in a social interaction, somebody say, what do you do for a living? I'm like, Oh, I'm writing a book. Right. Whereas before it was, what do you do for a living? I was like, ah, yeah. I, I that was, means you're unemployed. When your answer is I'm writing a book, that means you're unemployed. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's what that, it that's what they hear. Didn't oh, you're get, writing a book. They're like, Oh, yeah, that's okay. nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How's right your basement? On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it was it, it was sad in that when it was over, it was just it was over, and I was like, well, well now what do I do? Right? Like, right. It's, like it's I, I felt kind of lost for a moment, and it, it was for me. Luckily, it, it was kind of short lived. It did, uh, you know, because I continued to write on the blog. Um, I actually started a podcast and uh, began doing doing that. And uh, is your podcast the same? Is it a medic's mind? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it was, it's been really cool because like, it's funny. I, I only ever thought that like friends and family would listen to it. <laughs> right. But I've had people, most of my listenership is actually in the United States, which is, nice. which is kind of wild, but um, it's kind of like having people message me and reach out that, that I've never met before. And they say things yeah. like, Hey, you know, this story really impacted me or, Hey, this is great. Or this was hilarious or uh, it's, it's, it's such a mind blowing thing. Uh, I'm sure you can relate. I'm it sure is. you've had people do the same and uh, you know yeah it's weird it's it's, it's totally yeah. weird yeah yeah i mean so then you I mean you finish the book and then there must have been a different feeling when you get that first copy in your hand oh yeah you remember that day i do because uh, again it harkens back to the first person i want to call uh and i actually right. reached always my, reached into my pocket to pull out my phone and uh, really and i realized ah, i can't i can't do that um, so I made a deal with my publisher. I said, when you print the books, make sure that the very first book you pull out of the case, you send it to me because that's going to be the book for my mom. And I'm going to mm. write an inscription for her and I'm just right. going to keep that book. So the very first book I ever signed, uh, I want it to be for my mom. And that's, that's what I did. That was, that uh, was my way of, that's so special. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it felt, it felt needed. It felt necessary. And, uh, so I, it's actually sitting beside me here and, uh, probably gonna at some point put it in a shadow box and uh, you know some something yeah. I accomplished and something that uh, kind of a reminder. So when was that that the book came out? Came out October nineteenth of uh, twenty nineteen. October twenty nineteen. Yeah. So I mean, how was it received? How do you find it's been received? Uh, it's surreal, man. Uh, it's been received very well. Uh, yeah? it's, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, 
you know, I sold out of my first book signing at Chapters Indigo. Uh, nice. Yeah, which blew me away. Uh, I had I had somebody come up to me. They, they walk in and they say, hey, Maddie. And I assumed they just read the banner and saw my name and just abbreviated it to Maddie because people do that sometimes. But this guy started talking to me as though he knew, like, knows me. And he's talking about, like, all these events that I've been through and stuff. And I have no idea who this guy is. And it's because he listens to my podcast and reads my blog. And he's like, I came here to buy two books, one for a paramedic buddy and one for me. Uh, I wanted to wanted to come down here. Am I the first person? I was like, uh, no. He's like, ah, too bad. But it was my, it was wild. It was absolutely wild. Um, and such a cool experience. And, and subsequently yeah. we've connected on Facebook and uh, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. The book is excellent. If you're listening, get this book. It's really good. I, I also read it in chunks. Like I'll read about a chapter at a time because I don't want it to trigger anything within me. I'm really careful about stuff that upsets me. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember reading your book and I'm sure all the characters in your book, you probably changed names. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but there's a, there, but however, when you went to civilian medic and your first, your mentor or your facilitator or preceptor, whoever it was, yeah. you, you gave him the name Witter. Yeah, yeah. 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 That hit me like a truck because I worked with, I worked with a, uh, a communications officer when I was back in Nova Scotia named Mark Witter. Oh, wow. And we were really good friends. And he recently uh, died of cancer. <sighs> and so I'm reading the book and all of a sudden it's a, and he was a medic out West too, before he came to Nova Scotia. And I'm like, and oh, I see this man. name and I went, Whoa. And that hit me like a truck, even though I know you've changed names. Yeah. But uh, so I'm really careful, but it's an awesome book. It's a, it's a really good read. I like, uh, you know, you, you bounce back and forth between timelines mm-hmm. right and but but it's not it's not complicated it's easy to follow it makes sense the way you did it makes sense thank you um it's a phenomenal book man it's just it's a really really good book it truly puts you in the mind of a medic thank you very much it's uh that, that means a lot man especially coming from you that means that means a great deal um oh man like good like well done like it's you. just uh very well done you mentioned your blog and uh, since uh, I don't know why we weren't before, but now we're hooked up on social media just recently. Mm-hmm. So I started getting your blogs and you put a recent blog, like just in the last couple of days about your brother. Yeah. And I read that. And man, that was, um, that was powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just about your relationship with your brother and, and, uh, just how he sort of closed everybody off right now, but it seems to be directed at you. Yeah. Um, like very well written. I'm sure that that, you know, strikes a note with many people. Um, but yeah, if also, if you're listening, if you can hook up with this blog, it's just, uh, it's again, very well done. Like, I think this is what like you're obviously doing what I believe you were meant to do. Right. Um, at the right time that you were meant to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's your work, your work is, your work is great. Your work is amazing. That's thank you very much. It's, uh, that honestly means a lot to me. Thank you. No, you're very welcome. All right, Matt. So as we talked, the theme of up talk overall is own your growth. So taking responsibility for your wellness. Um, what are the things that you do now in your life that you have inserted into your life routine uh, just for the mere purpose of maintaining your wellness. 
Uh, I think. I mean, obviously writing. I mean, writing. You already write, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's off. That's awesome. Yeah, I I definitely write. I, I carry a journal around with me, and I I write down my thoughts. Um, okay. you know, at whim. You know, if I'm sitting, somewhere. I just started doing that myself because it's an amazing thing. Basically, yeah. For years, anybody who said that told me I should be journaling, I just said, "Well, fuck you." Like I'm not. <laughs> I fuck that. Like I don't want any part of journaling. I'm not interested in journaling at all. Yeah. However, having done it now for since September of last year, uh, it does. It makes a difference. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, uh, I find that it kind of helps slow me down a little bit. Um, right. That's right. You know, I, I struggle with anxiety a little bit as well, uh, mm-hmm. with with respect to other symptomology that that kind of runs its course through me. Yeah. Um, but I, I find that being able to structure something in in a, in a writing sense helps kind of slow slow the world down a little bit. And uh, it's it's one of those things that it, there's an exercise that, that my therapist does when I start getting uh, disassociated, and it's kind of naming five blue things in the room describing those blue things where are they okay. you know and so i find that if i if i'm starting to kind of get a little carried away if i write about something and i i describe it in literature and i'm describing what i'm looking at it helps ground me so journaling is something i would say that I, i've been using right now to help ground me and keep mm. me present um i've recently picked up a camera photography and and oh yeah and, uh, messing around with that. And I find that the technical aspects of, of worrying about like, you know, shutter speed and ISO limits and things is a really, uh, unique tool for me in that instead of being so hypervigilant of everything around me, I'm focused. And so I, I find that photography is kind of helping a little bit. It's not a, it's definitely not a cure. Uh, the world can still be a bit of a, a scary place, uh, mm. with respect to noises and, and just things. Um, but it's definitely something that helps and, uh, and it's challenging. And so, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I know, I know quite a few, uh, medics, just medics alone that have turned to photography. I don't know. I mean, if you're looking for any, you know, to be part of any kind of community, you should look up John Brown photography. John Brown, okay. He's, uh, he's a medic and I worked with him at the dispatch center and then he transitioned out of that career and now lives in, uh, in Cape Breton in Nova Scotia. And he's uh, a photographer. And phenomenal. Like, he's so, so good. I'm sure you'll enjoy looking at his stuff. All right. I just wrote his name down here. I'm going to yeah. down here. I'll check it out. Yeah. No, he's re- really, really good. What about, um, how about meditation? Do any of that? Yeah, I, I try to do some mindful stuff in the mornings. Uh, yeah. I mean, I usually have to wait a bit. Typically, my my sleep cycle is broken by nightmares, typically. Um, yeah. So I wake up with adrenaline quite often. Um. But I, I generally try to do take some time out of my day to to be mindful, um, and I, I try some breathing exercises. Uh, I have a few apps on my phone that my therapist has suggested. Some. Um, oh yeah, do you have an Insight Timer? Uh, no, I don't actually have that one. That's uh, really good. But I mean, there's lots of good ones. You're right. Insight Timer is what I use. I know a few people that use that. Yeah. Just it's just a plethora of like of different meditations for any kind of situation. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to write that down too so I can pass that along to her as well. I want you to notice that I use the word plethora just for you. Uh, I appreciate that. I, pull, well. I pulled that out. It's very grandiloquent yeah. of you. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What about floating? Have you ever floated? No, I haven't. I have actually you, looked at it, uh, but I've never never done it. I mean, right now we can't float. Obviously, we can't do anything. It's but um, yeah. yeah, when things get back to whatever new normal we're in, 
I would highly suggest you go for a float. All right. I, th- I think you would love it. I think you would love it. I'll definitely look into it for sure. Oh, no. Yeah. Let me, let me know how that goes. So, I mean, uh, Matthew, if people want to reach out to you and they want to connect with you to get your book or for speaking or anything else that you do, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So uh, I guess the easiest way for to remember uh, my Instagram is a medic's mind. Yeah. Um, so feel free to reach out and send me a message there. Uh, Facebook is by the same name, a medic's mind. Yeah, I have a Facebook page there. Uh, my book is available on uh, multiple platforms like amazon.com.ca uh, in the UK. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's basically just typing in Emetic's Mind. It should should come up. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my email is always open. So, I mean, if you go to my Instagram, I have my email connected there and, and you're more than welcome to email me. Um, I, as a caveat, I generally don't act as a, as a therapist. Um, you know, I'm just kind of there as a, just a person listening here. Uh, but if it gets beyond my, my scope and I, I try to protect myself from trauma too, you know, I'm not, a I don't respond anymore to, to people's traumas in, in, on the ambulance. So therefore I have to protect myself there. But I mean, you're always welcome to reach out and I can help in any way that I, that I can safely. Um, Perfect. yeah. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, before I get to my last question, I just want to ask you, like, how do you feel you're doing now? Uh, if I had to compare myself from now to pre pre bell itself, drinking me versus now me, uh, mm. I would say that, uh, I'm doing better in the sense that I'm, uh, more, more open to therapy. Uh, I'm actually able to manage it a little better, uh, to actually ingest what, what she's giving me, right. um, to, to, to work on getting better. Um, nightmares is still a thing that, that plagues me. So that that's still a, an issue like sleep, you know, like I, I said today, I was kind of worried that I was going to miss our scheduled appointment because I <laughs> thought I thought I'd overslept and it was 1 PM. So yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's still a thing, but I, I would honestly say that my quality of life now is exponentially better than what it was while Good. I was drinking and while I was, while I was going through that, that stuff. Happy to hear that. So are you doing, uh, are you doing zoom therapy sessions now? I am. Yeah. It's, How do you find that? So, uh, I, I mean, we can't, we, it's, it's unique. Um, it's good to still have the the therapy session. It's good to still have that, uh, ability. I find that trauma work isn't really, um, an option via zoom. Um, there's a multitude of different reasons for that. For me personally, I, I find okay. that there's a security to the therapist's office. Whereas when zoom session ends, I'm still in my apartment. Yes. I, w- I was mentioning this to somebody, somebody else was telling me about this. Uh, someone else sort of cued me into that is that there's a lot of issues because people are having their zoom therapy and then it, the meeting ends and, but you're already back in your house. Yeah. You don't have that drive to and from the therapist to sort of, you yeah. know, to wind up or wind down. All of a sudden, you, you you turn your laptop off, and your kids, your dog, your significant other, all the house things are like right there. Yeah, it's yeah, it, and it and everything can become pretty small, pretty claustrophobic yeah. in in those moments. Uh, hmm. I used to back when things were normal. Uh, I used to after sessions. Uh, I mean, I'm always pretty tired. I call therapy days nap days because uh, they just yeah. wear you out. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I usually go to one of my favorite, uh, coffee places and, you know, sit there for distraction. It's usually, you know, 
pretty waitresses, uh, friendly faces, you know, it's just somewhere that's completely distracting, uh, you know, viscerally. So, uh, I used to do that quite a bit. Um, now obviously that's not so much of an option. Uh, so I've been walking quite a bit, just right. getting out, going for a walk. And luckily so far I haven't gotten in trouble for it. So. Hmm. Wicked. All right, Matt, I'm going to ask you one last question. So knowing what you know now, having been through your journey, which has been, you know, quite the journey. Uh, if you were to go back and talk to yourself before your first day in the military and you give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Pack a lunch. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, no, no. <laughs> I was hoping that was, that's kind of insightful. I'm sure you have a meeting for that. <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, breathe, probably. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. I think just breathe. Um, you know, one breath leads to the next breath, leads to the next breath, leads to the next step, leads to the next step. So I think, I think breathe is probably what I would, what I would give him. That's awesome. That's perfect. And to get rid of the sweater rest, definitely get rid of the fucking sweater rest. Of, I don't know, man. I still think they were good. They were good in their time, man. I rocked that. Um, that's awesome. Listen, Matthew, it's been um, obviously a pleasure chatting with you. Um, Likewise. I want to thank you for your service, obviously, uh, military and civilian. Uh, I want to thank you for your work as an author, as a blogger, as a podcaster. Um, we need you to keep doing this work. Uh, there's lots of work for us to do. We have a, a long way to go uh, where this subject, you know, is concerned. So just thank you. Thank you for your work. You're amazing. Uh, you. Again, you're doing what you're supposed to do. I, I firmly believe that. And just thank you for taking the time to come on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And and the thanks for service goes back to you as well. I mean, you did it for like 17 plus years or something, if I remember yeah. correctly. Like, so yeah. um, that's not a, that's not a short period of time to do that. Um, not that somebody who does it for a short time should be mitigated against, but, uh, you know, no, uh, thank you no, absolutely for, not. for, for doing what you did too. It's, uh, it's not an easy no. profession. It's a great one, but it's not an easy one. No. Well, so, thank you, brother. It was, uh, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it when I did it. 100%. <laughs> and you know, I did it for as long as I could until I couldn't. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. Brother. That's it. So, but, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah. So, I mean, listen, if you have anything else going on and you want to come back on the podcast or if you want me to pump something out, please let me know. Um, I'll be keeping an eye out for your blogs and for your podcast. I'll be sharing that whenever I can. Uh, I try to share everybody's stuff. Um, and I have a philosophy on that. It, at first, I didn't do this. Uh, my listeners have heard me say this many times. I got kind of defensive about sharing other people's stuff because I didn't want people listening to other people's stuff. I want to listen to my stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was really like it was kind of quite egotistical, right? It was really selfish. <laughs> I only had that for a couple minutes though. It didn't last very long. And now I came to realize that I mean I share everybody's stuff, all podcasts, everything, because if someone doesn't connect with Uptalk, right, maybe they'll connect with a medic's mind. Right. And it's good for everybody to have choices. So, you know, the more, the better, like the, there's yeah. more than enough room for all of us. Yeah. I, I kind of, I like to do the same thing. Um, like my publisher has a podcast too, and I share that my sister-in-law has a podcast that's, and you know, those two podcasts are disconnected kind of from what I do. Right. Um, but you know, there might be some, some benefit from somebody on my friends list that, that might like that and prefer that yeah. stuff a little bit more. So I, I do the same thing that, uh, that you do as well. I kind of push it out and. I do little promotions at the beginning of my podcast sometimes for, for people, not, not paid promotions. I just, you know, yeah. it's just something I do. 
Yeah. No, I'm the same way. That's cool, brother. Okay. Listen, uh, Matthew, take care of your, keep taking care of yourself uh, and those around you. you too. Again, please don't stop doing the work. Is there, and this is kind of, I don't know if they have the subject matter, but is there like another book coming out or do you think you might do another one? Yeah. So definitely working, currently working on a book right now. Um, oh, you are? Yeah. It's uh, sort of a, the story of grief, you know, kind of the arch of grief, but it's told through a series of letters to my mom. Oh um, my God, man. On my, on my blog, sometimes I write letters to my mom still just, uh, just to kind of keep her informed <sighs> of what's going on in life. And so I thought, uh, and my publisher thought it'd be a good idea to maybe tell the story of at the very beginning and how grief arcs and arches and, and leads you to one way, but as yeah. told strictly just through series of letters. And, uh, so that's what we're working on. Oh, dude, that's going to be amazing. When that is ready, let me know. Cause we'll, I want you to come back on. We'll talk about that. hundred percent. Yeah. I'll definitely send you a copy as well. Oh, thank you, brother. Listen, it's been a pleasure and I'm sure we're going to talk again soon, but uh, again, thank you. And it's been my absolute honor to have you on. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, brother. Journey with me in the mind of a medic. Oh, journey with me in the mind of a medic. Cause that's my everyday.